Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. If you have your Bibles, I would ask that you would turn to John and his Gospel in chapter 6. We are going to be looking at a message in John chapter 6 and verses 69 through 71. And I know last week we talked about 69, but we're going to revisit verse 69 again today because it's an important statement that last week I had to do everything within me to hold back and not just get into this week's message, but we're going to see that it applies to both messages as we look at the text. I want us to look at this text in a message entitled, In the Crowd, But Not in Christ. In the crowd, but not in Christ. And we're going to be looking at the facts surrounding the betrayal of Jesus by Judas Iscariot. Um, Judas and those facts are very important to understanding exactly what happened in that betrayal. And we're going to be looking at those things. And the fact, Jesus is going to mention, though He doesn't call Judas by name, He is going to mention that one among them is going to betray Him. We know that John, as he later recorded this Gospel, lets us know who that one was by looking back in retrospect and identifying Him as Judas Iscariot. But before we dial into our focal point today, and that focal point will be the title of the message, In the Crowd, but Not in Christ. And I want you to ask yourself that question, am I in the crowd and not in Christ? And I want that to be the theme of everything that we talk about, but before we jump into that, I want to look at some biblical truths surrounding Judas Iscariot. Many of us are familiar with Judas. He is the one who betrayed Christ, we know, for 30 pieces of silver. And he was a close friend to Jesus. In fact, numbered among the twelve, those closest to Jesus in His earthly ministry. Even the lost people in our society know enough about Judas to call someone who betrays them, or a traitor, they they call them a Judas. And they know enough about Judas to know that is the type of person that he was and that he was identified as the one who betrayed Christ. But before we jump into this, I want to talk about some additional things surrounding Judas and his betrayal of Christ. I want you to know this. There had to be someone who would betray the Christ. Um, There had to be that person because the Old Testament declares that there would be that one. In fact, the psalmist says in Psalm 41 verse 9, as God was delivering a prophetic message through him, he actually proclaims that there would be a friend of Jesus, of the Lord, who would lift his heel against him. And we know that in in writing that, the psalmist did not know the name Jesus. He referred to Him as the Lord. And that there would be that friend who lifted His heel against the Lord. And then in Zechariah chapter 11, we see a prophecy concerning the betrayal of Christ. And it proclaims the exact number of coins. This is in Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13. When you have time, look at it. But what it does, it it describes the exact number of coins and the fact that these coins would be 
returned and that they would purchase a plot of land. How, how amazing is that? That before Christ was ever here incarnate on the earth, Zechariah prophesied the exact number of coins that the betrayer of Christ would receive by stabbing Christ in the back. And so we see that about Judas, that it was prophesied in the Old Testament, so there had to be someone. Judas was that someone. We see also about this event and this person that that God was sovereign in choosing this exact person. The one who would betray Christ. The one who would apostatize from the faith. The one who would reject Christ completely and who would step off into eternity in His unbelief. What this does, it proves that God is sovereign over everything. God is sovereign over election and salvation for those who believe, but God is also sovereign over reprobation. We believe that there is nothing that happens in all of creation that God does not either cause or allow to happen. He is sovereign over both good and evil all at the same time. What a comforting thing that is. Judas could betray Christ, but Judas could not destroy Christ. Because God is sovereign over over both good and evil. Nothing is out of His complete rule or His complete control. Jesus was definitely not surprised by who the one among the twelve was because He sovereignly chose Him. He's going to say that in the text in just a moment. Did I not choose the twelve? Yet one of you is the devil. He chose eleven to believe, and He chose one to be that reprobate who would betray Him. Knowing all the while who He was. Knowing all the while that He was in their midst and was not a true believer. Because this was all according to God's plan. There had to be the one who would betray Christ as the prophets foretold. God sovereignly arranged that. It is a perfect plan, isn't it? How many of you understand that? Oh, I would have done it a different way. It was a perfect plan. Because it's God's plan. Judas, however sovereignly chosen to be the rejecter of Christ, Judas will definitely be held responsible for the act of betrayal. Many people say if you believe in the sovereignty of God, you, you, you can't believe in the responsibility of man. I can believe in both because Scripture teaches both. That Judas will be held responsible for betraying Christ. And why is that? I'll tell you why. God didn't make him betray Christ. God simply left him to himself. He left him to his own wickedness. And in our own wickedness, all of us reject Christ. In fact, until he opened your eyes sovereignly so that you could believe, your whole life was about rejecting Christ. Your whole life was about choosing sin over choosing the Lord Jesus. And all God simply did in this matter is turn Judas over to who he really was. Just as we see in Romans when it talks about the reprobates, it says three times that God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. And so we know this, God doesn't have to make us do evil. That's for all the people who say, well, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, then you, you believe that God creates evil and makes people do evil things. No, God does not. Evil people do evil things by their own sinful nature that they did not inherit from God, they inherited from Adam. And so we see the responsibility of God and the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man both in the life of Judas. Judas will be eternally responsible for his deeds. 
In fact, Mark in his Gospel testifies in verse, chapter 14, verse 21, that it would have been better if Judas was never born. It would have been better if he never existed because in his depravity, he did the unthinkable. In his depravity, he betrayed the Christ and turned his back on Him and for 30 pieces of silver, sold out the Jesus that he had watched do miraculous things, who he had saw powerfully teach and heard powerfully teach the Word of God. And Judas will be held responsible for his actions. And I want you to understand that today. Judas was not a robot. Judas was a human. And in his depravity, he did what depraved humans do. They reject God. He did what all of us do until God graciously saves us and allows us to do otherwise. Arthur Pink, in his exposition of the Gospel of John, he shed some light in this. And as I was reading that, I decided this morning to share all seven points that he makes in answering the questions surrounding the mystery of Judas, right? Because couldn't there have been another way? Wouldn't there have been an easier way? Couldn't it have been better if like an enemy of Jesus betrayed him? Not one of his closest friends. Not somebody who was in the crowd. Right? And not somebody who was in his small congregation of the twelve. Wouldn't it have been a lot easier if it was just some outsider who, who was just obviously wicked instead of this one inside who was playing like everything was okay when it wasn't? But Arthur Pink makes some good points, and I want you to write these points down and, and to think about these things. He says this, he said, through these answers that we can gain from Scripture, uh, it gives us insight into the mystery of why Judas and why the way that it happened. The first thing that Pink tells us is this. It furnished Christ an opportunity to display His perfection. What in the world is he meaning there? Here's what he's meaning. It, that, that in Judas betraying Christ as he lived there with the, the twelve all of this time, close-knit as a family, Christ used this as an opportunity to show how compassionate He is, how caring He is even toward those who are evil, who actually inwardly still hate Him and do not believe in Him. That even though those people are in the midst, they still receive the general love of God and the general grace of God. I can tell you this, any unbeliever here today, or all of the unbelievers who are outside of here today, all of them woke up today because of the general compassion and love and the general grace of God. Even though they don't understand saving grace and saving love, they don't understand effectual calling, they woke up this morning because of God's general grace and general compassion for mankind. He allowed them to wake up. He allows them to breathe. He allows them to eat, to have work so that they can provide for their family. They do not acknowledge this, but it is biblical truth. And so in the story of Judas, we see it furnished Christ an opportunity to display how perfect He is in the midst of all of the imperfection around Him. Secondly, Pink notes, that it provided an impartial witness to the moral excellency of Christ. An impartial witness to the moral excellency of Christ. How is it an impartial witness? Judas, as we're going to see when we read the text in a moment, Jesus says, you're a devil. And even a devil testified, Judas himself, when he went back to the religious group who he had betrayed Christ to, Matthew chapter 27, verse 4, He says this about Jesus. I betrayed innocent blood. He had spent three plus years with Jesus and never 
saw him commit anything wrong, and it was his own testimony from his mouth. The betrayer of Christ told the religious leaders, he's innocent. I sold out an innocent man. Testifying to the moral goodness and perfection and excellency of Christ. That's why God allowed this to happen. I can assure you of this. Everything that happens in all of creation is for the glory of God. Christ is on display here. And Judas helped display from an impartial position the moral perfectness and excellency of Christ. Number three. We see this. It gave occasion to uncover the awfulness of sin. To uncover the awfulness of sin. How someone could be so blinded to the darkness of their sin even when they were so positionally close to the Savior. You imagine he sat down and he ate meals with Christ. He saw Jesus walking on the water. He heard Jesus say, peace be still. And the ocean, the sea, was still. He saw Christ, but yet remained in His sin. Oh, what a dreadful thing to think that if you are in the crowd this morning and not in Christ, you see the things of Christ going on all around you, but yet sin continues to deceive you. And so in Judas Iscariot, it gave an occasion to uncover the awfulness of sin. And I guarantee you this, when you are really growing in Christ, you will agree that there is an awfulness to, to your sin. That it is your sin that placed Jesus upon the cross and you no longer want to dabble in the realm of sin. You want to forsake that realm of sin and turn to the righteousness of Christ. Thirdly, fourthly, excuse me, it supplies the sinner with a solemn warning. King says this story supplies the sinner with a solemn warning. And what is that warning? It showed people that some can be near and can seem to be near to Christ externally while they are still internally lost and unsaved. Let us pay attention to that this morning, that solemn warning that we see in the life of Judas Iscariot. Number five, it it tells us that we can expect to find hypocrites among the so-called followers of Christ. Isn't isn't that the cop-out that the lost world uses? I don't want to go down to that church because it's full of hypocrites. That we say, come on, join us. We could use one more. But It brings us to the alarming truth Even among the true believers, there could at any time possibly be hypocrites who are just playing games. That word hypocrite means to to be a wearer of a mask. You're a pretender. And unfortunately, there could be pretenders in our congregation today. But the lesson of Judas Iscariot warns us and reminds us with a solemn warning that you could seem near to Christ externally, but internally still be lost in your unbelief and your sin you still could be that hypocrite among us. Number six, it shows us that the devil is expected to be among God's servants. I can assure you of this every time you see the Lord working. Look for the devil lurking in the shadows. He is working constantly. Scripture tells us that he is roaming the earth as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may Devour. Why would we think that because we 
call this congregation the church, that He wouldn't try to enter in through these doors just as He entered in into the ministry and life of Jesus Christ. So we can expect the devil to be working and attempting to move among even the servants of God. Number seven, as Pink closed this seventh point, the details surrounding Judas and the mystery that is there, it affords one more illustration of how radically different are God's thoughts and ways from ours. I want you to understand that in this story because for years people have been arguing, trying to reconcile. Why? How? This doesn't seem right. All the things that people try to do in looking at the story of Judas, and you have to come to this conclusion. God's ways are higher than our ways. It happened perfectly and exactly just the way God wanted it to happen. This is exactly how it was supposed to play out. Even though it's not what we would have liked or what we would have designed, right? I would choose anyone but my closest friend to betray me. Right? If God came to me today and said, Kirk, someone's going to betray you and you get to decide who he is. I don't want it to be my best friend. I would choose my worst enemy. But yet God, in the story of Judas Iscariot, shows us that His ways are radically different than our ways. His thoughts are radically different than our thoughts. That in His omnisciency, He sees things and knows things that we can never see and know. He's all-knowing and omniscient in every aspect. So we can just come to this conclusion when we look at Judas Iscariot, we can say this, God had His reasons. I don't have to know what those reasons are, but I can read it in black and white. This is the way that it happened. And this is why it happened. It happened according to God's good pleasure and perfect will. God's providence saw all of this through, just as we see that in each of our lives. What a comfort that is when we really grasp that truth. And so now that we have seen some facts surrounding Judas Iscariot, maybe some facts that we've never contemplated before or ever thought about, what I want to do is I want us to now hone in on what I want us to look at today. The focal point of today. In the crowd, but not in Christ. Because I believe this. I believe all the facts that we could gather about Judas, this is the saddest of facts. This is the most disturbing of facts to me as I look at this text that we're going to look at today. That he could be in the crowd right there in the midst of the true believers and Jesus Christ Himself. And still not be in Christ. And why would we look at it from that perspective? Because I believe this, if Jesus had twelve and one of them was not in Christ, only in the crowd, that in a crowd this size, there is the potential that someone walked in here today who is in the crowd. You've always done the church thing. You've always come to church. You do the church ritual. You're in fact uh, religious on the outside, but on the inside you were unredeemed and you walked in today a member of the crowd but not truly in Christ. So as we look at this, I pray that God would show you today in your heart where you truly stand. Let's, let's look at John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 69. It says, We believe and know that You are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen You, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. Verse 71, He says, He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve, was later to betray Him. I want us to look at this, and I want us to look at this in detail and, and the surrounding things of the story that show us that Judas was in the crowd 
but not in Christ. I want you to first see the declaration of Christ there in the first part. Verse 69, we know this is Peter talking and he's answering for the whole crowd. And we're going to see that Peter makes a mistake in answering for the whole crowd. I would make a mistake if I tried to answer for this whole crowd today and if I said this, oh, you're all good people, you're all here at church, you all must be believers. That would be an assumption and that would be a dreadfully wrong assumption. Peter says this, he says in verse 69, we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, Peter could have said that for himself, but he misspoke when he spoke for the whole crowd. That's like me trying to say everyone here today is born again, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and on their way to heaven. I cannot give you that confidence. Peter misspoke. He goes on in verse 7, it says, Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you? is a devil. Have I not chosen the twelve yet? One of you is a devil. We see the declaration of Christ here. What was Christ doing in His declaration? I can tell you what He was doing. First, write this down. Jesus corrected Peter's incorrect thinking. He corrected Peter's incorrect thinking. He said, not so fast, Peter. We don't all believe that I am the Holy One of God because there's one here who doesn't. I want to correct you, Peter, because you're making an assumption. This is incorrect thinking. Peter assumed that all twelve were truly believers. And as I've already said, when we do that, we run the risk of being dreadfully wrong. In fact, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, the Lord said this. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in Your name and in Your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew You. Away from Me, you evil doers. Peter made an assumption that Judas was in Christ, but Judas was not in Christ. He was only in the crowd. And Jesus is making very clear that just because you profess with your mouth something, even in this instance, that He's Lord, if your life does not show that, there is no proof that you truly are saved. Judas, as we know the story goes, life proved that he truly wasn't saved. He betrayed Christ. Proving that he wasn't truly a believer. Peter was making an incorrect assumption in his incorrect thinking. We must never assume and because someone walked in these doors today, I can assure you of this, there was a, a young man who was saved in our morning service. And he walked in assuming that everything was okay until the Spirit of God got a hold of him and he realized that he was in the crowd, but he wasn't in Christ. And we give God glory and praise for that. I pray that if you're here this morning, and you realize the same, that you would cry out to Christ to save you because He's the only hope that you have. We can't assume... And because someone is here at the church, or they are involved in church activity, that they really share our beliefs and faith concerning Christ. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable. I would that you pay attention to this parable. Watch what He says in verse 24. It says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. 
The owner's servants came to him and they said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? Verse 28 says, An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into the barn. Jesus here giving the parable that we know of as the wheats and the tares of the wheats and the weeds. What He was saying is this, we cannot assume that everyone in the crowd is really in Christ. There are, are those who really are, and those are the wheats. And there are those who really aren't. And they look good on the outside. We know this about the tear. The tear looks just like a wheat. But when you open up that husk, inside it is void of any fruit. And he's saying this, that you can be a part of the crowd, but not truly be in Christ. Don't make assumptions, Peter. You can't say, we all know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter, you can say you know, because Peter did know. And his life proved it. Because he persevered unto the end. You can never assume that someone, just because they are in the group, are truly in Christ. Haven't we seen this on a regular basis? Testimony after testimony after testimony. In the decade plus that I have been the pastor of this church, I have seen and had the privilege of baptizing person after person after person who says, you know what, I grew up in church, but I was never truly saved. I never truly heard the Gospel. God never truly did a work in my life, but He's changed me. And you know what, I've seen their fruit come to fruition in their life as they've grown in faith in Jesus Christ. You can't assume. Oh, God forbid that we would ever assume that just because someone is in the group, they are truly born again. The fact is, as Jesus proclaimed here, He says, have I not chosen all twelve of you? Let me just say this. This speaks of their inclusion in His close twelve. This does not speak of their election unto salvation. Because if you really want to know the truth, He chose eleven of them to salvation and He chose the other, Judas, to reprobation. He turned him over to His wickedness because He had to betray Christ. So He is again showing Himself Sovereign, over-election, and reprobation all at the same time. Jesus here was correcting Peter's assumption. He said, Peter, just because you think that you're all on the same page, you're not on the same page. Jesus corrected Peter's incorrect thinking. Secondly, Jesus confirmed internal treason. Internal treason. He said, one of you, one among our number, one of the twelve, is a fake and a phony and a fraud. Well, it stands to reason that in a group this size, far greater than 12, that there could be a fake, a phony, and a fraud in our midst this morning. I don't say that to condemn you. I say that so that when you hear the Gospel in just a little while and God permeates your heart with the truth, that you would respond in humility and faith and repentance to Christ. My prayer is that if you walked in this door today just a part of the crowd, but not in Christ, that God would graciously save you. You can walk out of here today in Christ, knowing full well that you are truly His. He is yours. That you are purchased by His blood that He shed at Calvary on the cross. So we see Jesus 
confirming internal treason. One among you is a devil. What a statement. Nothing could be more alarming or disturbing to these men, I assure you. To be literally called the devil. To equate you with Satan. To, to put you in the same category. Did you notice Satan was not a new concept here in the New Testament? They learned about Satan all throughout the Old Testament in their upbringing. And Jesus looks and says, there's a devil among us. Oh, don't you know that they immediately began to wonder? Oh, as we should, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we immediately in this congregation begin to examine and to wonder, am I truly in Christ? Am I truly in Christ or have I bought some bill of goods from Satan that, that all I have to do is pray this little prayer and walk this little aisle and fill out this little card and everything's going to be okay? Little prayers, little aisles, and little cards do not save people. Christ does. And we see here He's reminding them there's always the danger of internal treason. So what if He's a devil? He does this inspiring them to see their need for self-examination. To see their need for self-examination. To work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 says it like this. Paul says in verse 5, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Watch this. Unless, of course, you fail the test. Oh, you must examine yourself this morning. This is the declaration of Christ that there is a devil in the midst of His twelve. And immediately, what did they do? John chapter 13 testifies along with Matthew chapter 20, 26 that they immediately began to wonder and to ask. And they went to the Lord. Surely not, not I, Lord. Right? Not me. Oh, they began to examine themselves. Surely it's not me. I would ask that you examine yourself today to see is it you? Are you in the crowd and not in Christ? You must examine yourself. I assure you, if I could tell you for sure, I would have already told you. You must examine yourself. You must work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And Jesus declared, for some of you who aren't truly in Christ, we must hear this warning today. We must hear the warning of Jesus. The 2,000 year old warning that He gave to His followers. As if it was true for them. It definitely has the potential of being true to us today. So we see the declaration of Christ. Secondly, if you're taking notes, write this down. The duplicity of Judas. The duplicity of Judas. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. We know that John in, in verse 71 writes this in retrospect. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. We see he's talking about Judas, one of the twelve. But we see his duplicity that he is a devil. And he is one of the twelve. And can I say this to you? That is completely contradictory. He could not be a true follower of Christ and still a devil. Now we look at duplicity, and I know we must define that word. 
that word duplicity means this, doubleness. It's doubleness, and, and it describes one who is, as we would know them, double-minded. We would call them in our culture, two-faced. That, that backstabber, that double-dealing dealer, that hypocrite. Or, what Jesus describes for us in Revelation chapter 3, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm water comes from duplicity. It is hot water being mixed with cold water, making lukewarm water. Judas reveals here his duplicity in Christ saying what he has said about him. The duplicity of Judas. His duplicity reveals things for us. It reveals his true heart. His true heart. You can't be darkness and light at the same time. There is no such thing as part darkness and part light. Some people think that that's Christianity. That is not Christianity at all. I'm not talking about the simple struggle between the Spirit and the flesh. I am talking about who you really are. And if you are in Christ, you are light. You have been brought out of darkness. You are no longer in the dark. However, Judas in his duplicity reveals his wicked heart, the fact that he was part dark in his thinking and part light. He externally walked around the earth with Jesus and his other followers while internally he plotted to betray Jesus the Christ. We see the duplicity of Judas revealed his heart. In fact, it does the same in our lives. And I would encourage you to ask yourself that question. Am I in Christ? Or am I still in sin? Because I can assure you of this. You are not in both. It is impossible for you to be in both. Am I in Christ? Or am I in the world? You can't be in two places at the same time. First John chapter 2, John in his epistle writes this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. Why? He tells you why. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What a startling fact. That if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Judas couldn't decide. He, he liked Jesus and he liked the benefits of Jesus, but he loved the world more and he proved it. He chose 30 pieces of silver from the world to betray Christ. And the duplicity of Ju Judas reveals his true heart. Listen to me, people. There is no dual citizenship in heaven. You are either a citizen of heaven, blood washed, bought from Jesus Christ, or you are still a citizen of sin and this world. Period. There's no exception to that. You are either still in the world and in your sin, or you are in Christ. You cannot have both. And if you still love this world, John says the love of the Father is not in you. His duplicity revealed his true heart. Duplicity is the absence of allegiance. Right? Because you can't show allegiance to two masters at the same time. In fact, the Lord said that. You can't serve two masters. If those words were true 2,000 years ago, I assure you they're still true today. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve sin and Christ. 
So his duplicity revealed his true heart and his true allegiance. That Jesus was not truly his Lord. His allegiance also defined defined for us who he really served as Lord. I want to say this to all of you so that you can hear me. Jesus is either Lord or He isn't. There is no middle ground. There is no such thing as part-time Lord. There is no such thing as on Sunday at church Lord. He is either Lord of all of your life or He's not Lord of any of your life. In fact, when they came to Jesus and said, what must we do to follow you? He said, deny yourself. Why? Because their allegiance was to themselves and their sin. And He said, leave your allegiance to you and take up your cross and follow Me. That is whole allegiance to Christ. That is wholeheartedness like we looked at last week. Judas, in his duplicity, revealed that Jesus was really not Lord at all because there was no true allegiance to Christ. Secondly, his duplicity resulted in betraying Christ for fleshly gain. In betraying Christ for fleshly gain. And oh, so many people these days who betray Christ for fleshly gain. Matthew chapter 26, verse 14 recounts this. It says, Then one of the twelve, the one who one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? Do you see that? Judas went to them. What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? He'd been plotting this behind the scenes. So they counted out for him thirty silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Oh, we see the duplicity of Judas ultimately ended up in betraying Christ for fleshly gain. He gained 30 whole pieces of silver to lose his very soul. Christ Himself said this, What profits a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his soul? But yet Judas, for only 30 pieces of silver, nothing close to the whole world, forfeited his whole soul. And who you truly serve will always come out in the wash. What I mean is this, your life will show it. Who you truly serve, Judas served himself. He served his own desires. He served Satan and he served sin. And it came out in the wash, didn't it? By his actions, he proved where his heart really was. He would rather have 30 pieces of silver than to have forgiveness of sin. Eternal life and a restored right relationship with His Creator. He missed out on all of that for 30 small pieces of silver. His actions said a lot about who He really is. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says, Where your treasure is, there would your heart be also. Judas had no value for Christ. He thought more the small bag of silver which he betrayed Christ. Thomas Watson said this, the Puritan, he said, what fools are they who for a drop of pleasure drink a sea of wrath? What fools are they for a drop of pleasure drink a sea of wrath? Oh, Judas, the the, the quintessential example of this, a little small bag of silver, a drop. 
In comparison to the riches of God that we have in Christ Jesus. A small drop, but yet for a small drop, a little bag of silver, He was willing to drink the sea of wrath. And I assure you of this, He will drink the sea of God's wrath for all eternity because He betrayed Christ. Because Christ was not truly Lord of Judas at all. So we see His duplicity. And it causes us to ask ourselves this question. Does our life match our lips? Does our life match our lips? Does our life match our claim? Or are we stuck in duplicity as well? We say one thing with our mouth, yes, Jesus is Lord, but we deny that He's Lord by the way that we live our life. That is duplicity. That is double-mindedness. That is not true biblical Christianity. Because we know this. Scripture is true. Do we still all agree with that? 2 Corinthians 5.17 I will remind you of that again. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. All of the old is gone, and behold, all things have been made what? New. Judas never became a new creation. We see that in his duplicity. He talked a big game. But the fruit that came out of his life was wickedness. In fact, wickedness that is so beyond anything that we can even understand that he literally betrayed the Son of the living God and turned Him over to have Him murdered for 30 pieces of silver. And so I ask you, are you living a double life like Judas? Are you in the crowd but not in Christ? And is that apparent because of the double life that you live? Oh, you live one way on Sunday. But on Monday through Saturday, man, there's no telling what it's going to look like. It looks just like it looked before you claimed to know Christ. And if that is the case, you have a spiritual problem. And your problem is this. You are still a person of duplicity. You are double-minded. You are a double-dealer. You are a lukewarm person. And Scripture says that Christ will spew you from His mouth. I didn't make this up. This is what the Word of God declares. I'm just telling you because I love you enough to tell you the truth. I'm not one of the people who come to tickle your ears and to make you feel good while you're on your way to hell. Judas revealed through his duplicity the fact that he was in the crowd, but he wasn't in Christ. And isn't it true that we are what we really are? When we're all by ourselves. When Judas would get by himself, he would plot sinful things. How can I find the right opportunity to sell out the King of Kings? How can I sell out one of my closest friends for the payment that I have received? And then we see in point 3, verse 71, John again going back in retrospect and letting you know exactly who Jesus was talking about here. Verse 71, He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who through, who though one of the twelve was later to betray Him. He later betrayed Him. I want you to see that, that He walked away from Christ. There is the departure from Jesus. We've seen the declaration of Christ, the duplicity of Judas. Now I want you to see the departure from Jesus. Ultimately, Judas rejected and betrayed Christ and he died lost in his sin. In fact, Scripture tells us 
that he committed suicide. He hung himself. In fact, the rope broke and he busted wide open on the floor below. Judas finally departed from Christ. Can I tell you this this morning? If you are not in Christ, you are in danger of finally departing from Christ. Oh, you've heard the truth week in and week out. Judas heard the truth week in and week out, day to day. Judas saw the wonders of God being performed before his very eyes. Yet he finally rejected and he departed. This is the sin of apostasy. I can tell you this, if you're not in Christ this morning, you are walking a thin line. You are walking a thin line that you cannot see, that you know not of. And once you cross over that line, you have crossed over and you never will be invited back. You will spend an eternity because of your rejection of Christ in a place called hell. Where you will be judged eternally for your unbelief and your sin. Judas departed from Christ revealing who He really is. Showing us, warning us about the danger of unbelief. In fact, 1 John, again John's epistle to the church, he writes in chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. Did you know this? John was Judas' friend at one point in time too. He was a part of the twelve. He realized this about those who depart from the faith that they went out because they were never part of us. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. This is the doctrine of perseverance that we skip over so often. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Well, John is making it very clear that Judas never belonged to Christ. Many people will say that Judas belonged to Christ and then he defected somehow. No, John is saying they went out because... He wasn't of us. He never was of us. Jesus actually testified to that in the Scripture that we read when He said, depart from Me, I never knew you. Not I knew you and you rejected Me. I never knew you. You stayed in a state of rejection. That is what the cross is. It is where He rescues us from our condemnation in the state of rejection and unbelief that we're in. He says, I never rescued you. You remained right where you were. In your sin and in your deceit. In your worldliness, you departed and rejected Me. Not only in this life, but for all eternity. This is the danger of unbelief. If you're here today and you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, you are in danger. Why? Because you know not what tomorrow holds. The Lord could return at any moment. Not to mention the fact that your life could be taken from you tomorrow. And if it is taken from you while you are in your unbelief, you will perish in hell for all eternity. Well, Pastor, I don't like that kind of preaching. I'll give you several addresses where you can go where you won't hear that kind of preaching. You won't hear any preaching at all. They'll let you feel good while you're on your way to hell. I'll tell you the truth. That if you are in your unbelief right now, you are teetering. You're in a very alarming position. Because at any moment, it could be your final rejection of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I assure you of this, when you finally reject Christ as Lord and Savior, there is no hope for you for eternity. There's no hope for you at all. The ultimate litmus test to true Christianity is persevering faith. Did you know the other 11? 
They persevered in their faith until the end, proving that they truly were born again. Proving that they truly were in Christ and not just in the crowd. Judas, not the case. He rejected Christ, hung Himself, and He perishes in hell and will perish in hell for all eternity. Judas abandoned Christ. He had witnessed all that Christ had said and done. But he had no saving faith to secure Him in the end. Oh, to sit under His Word and to hear. Listen, Judas heard the very mouth of Christ speak what we read on the pages. And he sat under that. Still did not believe. You know, you can sit under all the preaching that a man can bear to his human ears and still depart from this world lost, rejecting Christ. Oh my, I promise you this, coming to church and hearing preaching, going to your Sunday school class and hearing teaching, those things won't save you. It is Christ and Christ alone who saves you. Judas had heard all of the teaching. He had heard the words of Christ. Still, he wasn't saved. He not only heard and sat under the words of Christ, he also saw the mighty works of Christ. As I've already mentioned, he was there when Christ walked on the water. He was there when Jesus healed the blind man. He was there when Jesus healed the invalid of 38 years outside of the pool. He was there when Jesus turned the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. He was there. He saw these things. But yet in seeing these things, in reckoning them in your human intelligence, it won't save you. Oh, being saved is not acknowledging that Jesus did great things. Being saved is by faith, trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone as the only one who came to this earth, God incarnate, to save you from your sin by dying on a cross in your place, bearing the wrath of God that belonged to you. And He bore that wrath on that cross outside of Jerusalem so that those who call out to Him by faith, trusting in Him, can be saved this very day. But not so with Judas. Judas departed and did not believe. He was in the crowd. But he wasn't in Christ. Oh, the Philippian jailer there in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas there in the prison about midnight singing praise to God. And the earth quaked. And the prison door flung wide. And that Philippian jailer here in Acts chapter 16 and verse 29 says the jailer called for the lights and he rushed in and, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Here's what he didn't say. He didn't say join a local congregation, be a part of the crowd. Get in a reach group and be a part of that crowd. He didn't say get in a Bible study of some sort, a ladies' discipleship group, and be a part of that crowd. No, he didn't say that at all. They said, what must, must I, he said, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus. That word pistuo in the Greek. It is an abandoning of yourself and a full out trust by faith in Christ. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Judas saw all the things Jesus had done. He heard all the things that Jesus taught and those things counted for nothing because he did not believe. 
Jesus was making that clear in this text. Peter said, we believe and we know. And Jesus says, no, one of you is a devil and he does not believe and he does not know. He is in the crowd, but he is not truly in me. Oh, would you hear that this morning? Those of you who are in the crowd, but not in Christ. We see that Judas then had worldly regret, but no true repentance. Worldly regret, but no true repentance. He had remorse, and we all know that remorse and repentance are two totally different things. I've met many people who regret the choices that they've made in life, but they have not come to a place of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Judas accepted remorse for his behavior. We know that he returned the silver and threw it down, and the, the silver was scattered, and he didn't want it any longer because he felt bad about what he had done. He had been a traitor to one who was innocent of any wrongdoing. There was no true repentance. Oh, you must ask yourself this morning, have you truly repented of your sin and repented of your unbelief and turned to Christ by faith and that alone? Repentance is not an option. Jesus preached the Gospel. He preached the Gospel of faith and repentance. Mark chapter 1 says this in verse 14. After Jesus was, after John, excuse me, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. That is the gospel, the euangelion. He said, if Jesus went proclaiming this message, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. What should our response be? Repent and believe the good news. Now, I assure you of this. Judas heard that gospel. He heard that gospel. And he didn't believe and he didn't repent. Many people in this room hear that same gospel and you don't believe and you don't repent. You're settled with just being in the crowd. But you're not in Christ. Because it is through faith and repentance that we are ushered in Christ in no other way. In fact, you can't have one without the other. They are the opposite sides of the same coin. They go together. Faith and repentance. How do I know they go together? Because when Jesus preached the Gospel, He preached faith and repentance together. They cannot be separated. You, by faith, trust in Jesus Christ as the only One who can save you, and you repent and turn from your unbelief and your old wicked lifestyle, and you turn to Christ and Christ alone, and you are forever and eternally changed because of Him. Judas had no faith and he had no repentance. Just basic human remorse. Some of you are going to die and spend an eternity in hell having regrets without repentance. Regrets about the decisions that you've made in this life. Wishing that you could do it all over again, but never repenting toward God in faith. And thirdly, in looking at the departure from Jesus, you see He had everyone fooled. But He couldn't fool Jesus. He had everyone fooled, but he couldn't fool Jesus. Oh, I'll say this boldly today. You can fool me all day long. You can, you can learn enough Christianese to make me and all the people around you think that you truly know Christ. You can fool us all. But you won't fool Him. And a startling fact of that is this. You won't stand before me on Judgment Day. Because you could fool me. 
But you will stand before Christ and you will not fool Him. Jesus was not fooled here. Peter said, we believe and we know. And Jesus said, no, not all of you do. I'm not fooled easily. In fact, I'm not fooled at all. I know everything. And I know that one of you is a devil. That's for those of you who are sitting here today playing the church game. You've been playing the church game for years. You come, you've learned the lingo, you, you've learned how to carry your Bible, you've learned how to sing the songs, you've even got highlighters and you highlight verses in Scripture, yet you know that inside you've never truly repented and believed and trusted in Jesus Christ alone. You're still in your sin. You're still enslaved to your own wickedness your own unbelief. Judas had everyone fooled, but he couldn't fool Jesus. Matthew chapter 26, Matthew's account of this relationship, verse 25, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about Him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Verse 25 says, Then Judas, the one who betrayed Him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. Yes, it is you. Perhaps today. Or as you examine yourself, oh, surely not I, Lord. Surely I'm not just in the crowd, but not truly in Christ. Surely not I. And the Spirit is testifying to you internally. Oh, yes, it is you. Yes, it is you. The reason that we are preaching this message and hearing this message today is because of you. Perhaps the Spirit is confirming that to you this morning. That you are in the crowd, but you're not in Christ. There's a danger. Because if you continue to reject Christ, it will ultimately end in judgment in hell. And He will not be fooled. He knows. And He knows your heart more than you even know your heart. So what do we do? Right? This poses the question that we will close with. Right? The obvious question. Kirk, please don't tell us that some are in the crowd but not in Christ and don't tell us what it means to be in Christ. Right? That would be an injustice. What does it mean to be in Christ? I will do this quickly. How do I know if I'm in Christ? Not just in the crowd, right? You must ask yourself the question, have you truly surrendered everything to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Oh, I love the old preachers who would preach the truth. He's Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. Is He Lord of all? Is He the only hope that you have? Is He the reason for your existence not only in this life, but your eternal existence? Is He your treasure? Because if He's not, you've not surrendered to Him. You don't know Him intimately. If you know Him intimately, He will be your everything. Have you trusted in Christ and Christ alone surrendering to Him, repenting of your sin and your unbelief? Has there been that moment of awakening? For He showed you your need to turn from your unbelief and your sin and to turn to Christ. Because isn't sin really a display of our unbelief? Every time we sin, what we say is this, I really don't believe God because if I really believe God, I would believe that sin is death. But I do it anyways because I really don't believe God. You see how sin 
and unbelief go hand in hand? For the true born again Christian, I promise you this, you grow to the point where you realize I don't want anything to do with sin. Because sin is wickedness and it is my wickedness. And it is my wickedness that nailed Christ on the cross. It is the reason that He suffered and it is the reason that He died and it is the reason that He shed His blood and I want nothing to do with my sin. You've been brought to that point of faith and repentance. You have repented of your sin and your unbelief, trusted in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and that sacrifice alone to save you from your wretchedness and to cleanse you of all of your filth. Making you finally right in your standing with your Creator, our holy God and Father, the God of all. Have you trusted Jesus, repenting of your sin by faith, trusting in Him as Lord and Savior, by faith, knowing that He is the only way to the Father. He is the only way to eternal life. Maybe you haven't. But today, my prayer for you is this. that he, When He reveals to you that you are in the crowd this morning, but not in Christ, you would not settle for that. But that you would cry out to Christ in desperation. Knowing what the Bible says that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. As He brings you to that place this morning and gives you that faith to believe and repent, would you cry out to Jesus to save you from your sin and from yourself and to be saved forevermore. Do not settle for being in the crowd and forfeiting Christ any longer. Call on Jesus today, the only One who can save your sinful soul. And make you right with a holy God. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. We ask that it, through the power of Your Spirit, fall upon the ones who You desire to save this morning. And God, that Your grace would be lavished upon them. That You would graciously give them the faith to believe and to repent to turn from their life of sin and unbelief and to turn to Jesus Christ and Christ alone, that they would be saved, forgiven, and given eternal life this morning according to Your promises and Your Word. Lord, we thank You for what You're going to do as Your Word has gone forth and as Your Spirit is free to move. Save sinners. Cause saints to rejoice. Cause us to fall on our face and worship You for who You are. The Holy One of God. Just as Peter proclaimed. Lord, for those who can't proclaim that, Lord, I pray today that You would do a work in their life bringing them to You for salvation this morning. And we pray and we ask all these things depending on You and You alone. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week, and remember, you are light in the darkness.